Hi, my name is Brian Valenzuela. I'm a student from Valortech. This week, I am doing a project for my language art class that is about interviewing someone from the military. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Technical Sergeant Richardson. He works in the Air Force. He has served for 21 years. And I can't wait to hear about the Air Force and his life. So, uh, can you tell me how was it like to you to prepare to join the Air Force? Like the training and all of that? Well, it was, it was very intense uh, because it was a different, it was different than a normal lifestyle that I had to give up from. So, being uh, instructed and told to do things a certain way and, and everything being dictated, it, it was a shocker for me. Uh, but I mean, it was, I guess the military, what they try to do is they try to break you down and build you back up the way they want you. Okay. <laughs> so um, it was intense. So uh, like, what are some things that you, that you thought that it like were really intense for you? Like, <laughs> well, it's uh, to have somebody stand right up in your face and yell at you, even when you know you weren't wrong. Uh, it's just, uh, I guess you could say the fact of like the intensity of physical training that they go through, uh, timelines that you have to follow. If you're if you're late, man, it's you know, I guess you could call it a punishment, but it's really not. It's more of a disciplinary action against you, uh, and sometimes they can be harsh. Fortunately, I wasn't subjected to a lot of it because I was I was raised. Uh, to follow directions, so yeah. I wasn't connected to a lot of it, but I did see quite a bit of happen. Got it. Okay, uh, like, can you tell me more about the physical training? Like, how, how hard is it? <clears throat> well, I mean, as, as far as, like, being a young person coming in, it, was, it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was more, if you're used to doing, like, high school sports and stuff of that nature, uh, cross-country running and stuff, stuff like that you'll be you would be fine coming in uh because i was a i was a uh, i ran track and i played football in high school so coming coming in it wasn't a, a big deal for me as far as that's concerned but it's like you're you have to do a certain amount of push-ups uh sit-ups uh at, within a certain time frame you have to do a, a at that point in time when i came through it was two mile run and you have to do that in a certain time frame as well <clears throat> so I mean, it's just getting your body conditioned for that uh, was a challenge. But it, I mean, it challenges you. But it, it was if you stay in shape, it's not. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Uh, okay. Do you think that the training that you had, like in the past, uh, was it the same as someone that was trying to join the army or another branch? Like, do you think it's the same training? No, it's not. Uh, like the Army and the Marines, they both have a more intensified training than what the Air Force and the Navy do. Okay. 
However, in saying that, they still want to maintain across the all branches uh, an active, uh, healthy lifestyle for everybody. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, uh, the army they do their they do their rugsack runs and all that stuff where they pack on 50 to 100 pounds and they do their their hikes and runs like that. Air Force doesn't do that. Now, as far as like the technical side of it, uh, the Air Force has always been, and I hate to say it this way, and it probably sounds horrible, but the Air Force has always been the more technical branch of any of them. You have to score higher on your ASVAB uh, test to get into the Air Force than you do any other branch. Mm -hmm. So okay. it, it's uh, the technical and logical side of it is more advanced than the other branches. Yeah, wow. Okay. Uh... Like, when did you decide that you wanted to join the Air Force? Like, did you have like a family member that told you, or how was it? This one's gonna be a good one. Um, as a as a kid, I was I was one of those kids that got into mischief all the time. So I stayed in trouble as a youngster. Um, and then after a while, I started realizing uh, that I needed to do a change something had to change uh, and it's all because when I when I finally when I, I was in court and the judge told me he said you're gonna have to do something with your life he said because if you don't you're gonna wind up in jail or you're gonna wind up dead and I was like okay uh, so I probably about two days after that I contacted the recruiter uh, the Air Force and uh -huh. uh, just followed through with it uh -huh. So it wasn't a family member that got me here. It was my actions that uh, that I had as a child. So like, how old was you when that happened? Was it hard for you, for your age, to decide that decision to? No, it wasn't really that hard because I was already, when, when the judge said that I was 20 years old. Okay. And I waited a little bit because a lot of people come in at the age of 18, but I waited a little bit because of course, it wasn't a thought in my mind at that point, but uh, I had other things I was trying to do and, and get involved in. But after going to court and the judge telling me that, I was like, yeah, maybe it is time for a life decision. So that's okay. that's what led me there. So uh, why did you decide that the Air Force was like the right fit for you? Why not the Army? Why not the other branches? Well, I got to thinking about that and with the Army, and the Marines, they're both frontline uh, defense. Uh, with, uh, with the Navy, I like water, but I don't want to be on it all the time. Yeah. So uh, the Air Force, it seemed like the better option because I was, I'm in the background. I'm not the actual one on the front lines. Uh, even though we are put in, you know, put in areas that they're still considered dangerous, but, uh, but I'm not, I'm not on the front lines with everybody. And I, I can do my technical job from the back side of it. Got it. Okay, um, so what are some things that you struggle in the beginning? Like your family, like what are some things that was in your head the entire time? Well, the fact is I'd never been away from home uh, in my hometown, away from my friends. It, yeah. was, it was like starting over again. Uh, because I didn't know anybody, I had to learn to start from scratch again. So it was me on my own for, for really the first time. Even though I, I didn't live at home at that point, 
uh, it was still starting over on my own. Uh, so it was it was an eye-opening experience, uh, especially being that everything at that point in time shifted just to me instead of having that support around me. Got it. So, uh, so like, how far was it like to join the the Air Force? Was it like really far from home? Or? Well, initially, like for my technical training, I, I grew up in Virginia, uh, and our our tech school and our our basic training is both in Texas. Okay. So yeah, I was I was several several states away. Uh, so it was it was different, but. Yeah. I mean, I got used to it really, really quick. I, I adjusted very well to it. But, um, but yeah, then after I graduated from basic training and tech school, I got stationed back in Virginia. So, I mean, it still put me, it put me closer to home, but it, I was still a good distance away. I was on the other side of the state. Got it. Okay, uh, how often did you call your, your family, your mom, your parents? Like, did they let you call like any time, like that you <laughs> free, or how was it? No, in now in basic training, no, you're only you were only allowed to call once a week. Okay. And uh, well, that's when I went through. Things have changed since then, but I've been in the military for twenty and a half years, so it's it's changed a lot. But when I went through, it was once a week that you got to you got to make a phone call and it was just one phone call. So you couldn't sit there and call a different relative. You had to pick one. So, uh, you had, you had about 15 minutes to talk and that was it. And so like, who was the first person that you used to call in your basic training? My mom. My mom. Like, did she help you a lot in that moment that you were, you know, going through a lot? My mom has been my rock my entire life and uh anytime that things go wrong or i'm feeling down or you know sad uh or just plain mad whatever i call my mom and she always has been able to settle me down she has been my center my rock for everything even even up until now and i'm 41 years old so yeah she's my rock yeah that's really that's really good um so you said that you you were in basic training before and like how many times did you have to train to get to that point like to the what's it called to a technical soldier i bet you have to you had to learn a lot well the way it works in the military is through basic training you're you're really not that's just where they're trying to mold you they're trying to get you get to see if you are uh military material uh and if you get through that, then you go on to your tech school, which is where you get your training to do your specific job. Uh, and then my technical school at that point in time was five and a half months long because of what I do. So after I graduated technical school, I went to my first base and that's, I've been doing that since. But as far as the job is concerned, they place you when you do your ASVAB testing, they place you where they think you will do the best. However, in the in the grand scheme of things, you do have the option after after three years to cross train into a different career field if you don't like what you're doing. Uh, it's not guaranteed, but there is options there. Okay. Uh, did you have to take any tests to decide that? To decide where 
you were going to go? Uh, not as far as location, no, but as far as what career field, uh, it's all based off of those ASVAC scores. Uh, there's four different areas that they look at, and wherever you score the highest at is where they're going to try to place you because they know that your technical skills for that particular skill is good. Uh, can you tell me more about those four areas? Well, you have, uh, you have your electrical field, uh, your maintenance field, or it's maintenance slash mechanical field. Then you have your general knowledge, which is most of your admin people. And then, uh, what was the other one? It was, uh, actually it was general and then admin. So general is like they place you wherever you need. General is security forces, stuff of that nature. Uh, maybe fire department. And then your admin people are all, you know, the, the people that deal with the back, Pay, the paperwork from the back side of it. Got it. So in what area are you? I'm in the maintenance career field. I've always been mechanically inclined. Uh, I've, I grew up being a mechanic and I scored the highest on the mechanical side of it when I did anything. So they placed me in the, in the uh, mechanical field. Okay. So, uh, so you said that they make you pit, well, they send you to an area and if you don't like the area, you can move after three years, right? Well, no, that's, uh, you can, that, that's as far as your career field is concerned. Okay. Like you can cross train into a different career field. Like if you don't like maintenance, you can try to cross train over into admin. Okay. Uh, now, as far as location, it's not up to you uh, of where they put you. It's where they need you. You can put in for a preference of where you want to go, but it's not guaranteed you're going to get it. So if you put in for it, you may get shipped somewhere, but it may not be the same location you wanted. Yeah. Okay, so uh, can you tell me more about, like, when you joined that area, that field that you all, like, about the mechanic side of it? Like, can you tell me more about that? Like, how well, that's basically what I do is, uh, or what I did, um, I'm a, I work on all the ground support equipment that generate power to our aircraft and make them fly. Okay. So if if my job wasn't there, the aircraft aircraft wouldn't be able to get in the air. Got it. So that that's what I that's what I did. That's what I came in at. However, over the last eight years I've been I've been a uh, what's called a section chief and a flight chief. So basically I run my entire section. Okay. But it took years to get there. To that point okay uh like how long does it take to do that like to fix airplanes and stuff well as far as equipment as far as our equipment is concerned it can take it it depends on what the issues are uh depends on what's been done uh, but it's real you really can't quantify it because you run into different scenarios all the time so it's really not a quanti quantifiable situation that you can say this is how long we can spend on this this equipment because depending on our, how hard broke it is depends uh -huh. on how long you spend it okay so uh in that area that you are with the mechanic side like how many people how many soldiers are around you helping you do that thing well that's one of those questions that i'm not allowed to answer okay. uh, as far as like number wise but we have 
we have, I'll give you a, 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 I guess a broad spectrum of it. Yeah. But we can, we can carry anywhere from 50 to a hundred people wow. and just, and just my building alone that across the, the air force in general, there's thousands of them. Wow. So, um, you had like, you had to learn how to work as a team and all oh, yeah. that. Was it hard for you to, to like work as a team? Team. No, not really, because I've always been a team player. Uh, I try to make the best out of a bad situation. Okay. Um, I've been I've been a leader my entire career. Even at, even when I came in, I've always had that leader ability and that leader that leader uh, mentality. So everybody always looked at me, and I'm really good at my job. Uh, I've I've been able to just listen to equipment that's broken. I've been able to listen to it and tell them what's wrong with it just by hearing. Wow. Now, I was uh, I was considered the go-to guy for a long time, and even now I'm still one of them. So uh, who influenced you to be a leader, to help a lot, to be like very focused on everything, or you did it by yourself? Well, I had, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of influential people in my life. My mom being, like I said, the first one, uh, she was always very um, uplifting when it comes to, you know, what I was doing. Um, but I mean, over the years, I've had supervisors. I've, I've had good supervisors. I've had bad supervisors. Uh, but the one supervisor that sticked out to me as giving me all the tools I needed was, uh, his name was uh, Sergeant David Byer. Uh, he he taught he taught me everything I needed to know, uh, and another actually another supervisor is Sergeant Blair Sergeant Michael Blair. He was he was my go-to as far as the military side of it is is uh, concerned. But they taught me a lot. They taught me what they needed, what they do, and because you know the way the military works is you train your replacement what you're doing. Okay. So. You give them all the knowledge that you have, so when they take over your job, they can flourish. But okay. yeah, those those people were the, my influential influential people for the military. Uh, so can you tell me more about those people? Like, how did they add with you? Like, yeah. Well, like like I said, Sergeant Byer, he was my he was my first ever supervisor. Okay. And uh, he he kept me on my toes he kept me running uh but I, I i learned and earned respect for him uh because he kept me busy he he wanted my work ethic to be that of no other which he which he did so that's why i was able to raise above or rise above all the other people around me and i've over the past 15 years i've been rated the number one uh the number one in every shop i've ever been in as far as working Wow, well, that that's awesome. Like, so even this past year, I was rated number one above amongst my peers. So, what are your strategies to be like that success successful with your work, with everything that you do? I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna say it like this. I've always lived by a motto: Watch your neighbor do better than they do. Okay. So that's that's what I've that's what I've mod or done my my military career over is. I see how my peers are doing, and I try to do better. 
I'm not I'm not trying to be a cutthroat or any of that nature, but it's all peer related. It, and peer pressure, peer pressure is a is a big key. So if you you if you watch your peers uh -huh. and how they act, how they react, then you try to do better than them, and that's where it'll get you. It'll make you successful. Wow. Yeah. So do you think that like right now that you've been so long in the military, do you think that you're still learning in these years? Or do you think that you are you have a very good feeling of how is everything work around you? There's no day that's ever gonna come that any person, military or not, stop learning. They will always be learning something. And and it's still true in my career. I've like I said, I've been rated number one. That doesn't mean anything. What means something is how can I learn what's next? Got it. Wow. Okay, so uh, with another question that I have here. So your rank, you told me that it's a technical soldier. How did you do for being responsible for performing highly complex and technical duties? Well, that's that's what I was saying. Like, as far as rank is concerned, uh, your first four ranks are actually given to you, which your first rank is uh, is your airman basic which is how you come into the military. Uh, your airman, your one stripe airman is, uh, you earn those stripes because you'll get, you'll get your one stripe at 18 months of being in. Mm -hmm. Then you'll get your two, your second stripe at uh, 20, 24 months of being in or 20 to 24, depending on how you come in. Cause some of them come in with uh, stipulations to it. Uh, but it's generally between 20 and 24 months. And then you're, when you become an E4, which is your third strike, uh, that's at three years. And you can, there's a thing called below the zone uh, that you can get um, that'll allow you to sew on your senior airman strike, which is E4, uh, six months early, which will put you at 24 months. Got it. So, but then after that, you have to test for your next ranks. Me, uh, I, I'm, I've never been a really good tester. That's the reason I'm still an E6. And uh, I should have been an E8 by now, but I'm not a good tester. Uh, it's kind of like I get, I get the anxiety when I go in to do a test. And it, it, it affects my test scores. So, I, I mean, that's, it is what it is, but you do have to test for those ranks uh, until you get to E7. And now it used to be you tested for that, but now you test uh, only up to E6. E7 through E8 or E7 through E9 is all what's called board scores. And basically it's a package that's put together that goes up to these people to review and it, you get selected off of your package. Okay. So what's the highest one in your, like in that field that you are in right now? Uh, as far as, the career field itself, you can go all the way to E9, which is the Chief Master Sergeant. Uh, it's very rare to see that happen in my career field. The highest usually is E8 that's, that's here. But uh, like there's even there's an E7 that runs uh, my flight right now, mm -hmm. uh, and he's a Master Sergeant. Wow, yeah, and that's wow, that's impressive. So uh, like. 
do you do that test every year or how often do you do that test or do you do any time that you want? No, the, the Air Force is the only branch that only tests once a year. Every other branch tests twice a year. Twice a year. Yeah, but the Air Force, we only test once a year. If you miss it, you got to wait until next year. Got it. So what are some things that are really hard for you in that test? Like, it's just the pressure or, like, what is well, it? Well, I mean, it could be – it's a multitude of things. Uh, as far as my job is concerned, I've always tested really well in my job. Uh -huh. because I know my job really well. Uh, but when it comes to uh, what's called the PDG or PDF, uh, it's – or the PFE, sorry. Uh, it's more Air Force and overall – view of the Air Force. So it deals with other people's jobs as well. I don't know other people's jobs, so it, it's kind of hard for me to incorporate that. Yeah, it so, makes sense. So like, like, how do you find out those stuff? Like, do you have to read a book to know those questions or how is it? Well, there's, uh, there's things called Air Force regulations, Air Force instructions, uh, technical orders, uh, all, sto all sorts of stuff like that, that you have to dig into to find these answers unless you know somebody that, that knows these answers and get the answers from them. But, uh, but your best bet is just to go to the guidelines, the Air Force instructions, look them up, and see what that job entails. Okay. So uh, if you have a question, do you, have, do you ask your leader, or who do you ask? Well, from, uh, from the way I've always been taught and the way I still look at it is you go to your peers first. Uh, and if you don't, if your peers don't know, then you go up. You never, you never go down, ever. So, because if you go down, it's going to make, it's, it's going to make you look like you don't know what you're doing. So, you, you go across through your peers. If they don't know, then you go up. That's when I go to my supervisor and ask them the question. So, like, like, what do you mean by going down? Like, asking who? And it goes as far as like rank structure. Uh, like I'm a, I'm a technical sergeant. And uh, so I would go to another technical, another technical sergeant, but I would go to another technical sergeant, ask them because they are considered my peer. Uh, and then if they don't know, then I'll go up to the master sergeant and keep going up until I get my answer. Now, as far as going down, like, I outrank a staff sergeant, so I wouldn't want to go to a staff sergeant and ask a question about how to do something. Yeah. So, because it, it makes you look like you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you said that you're a leader, that you like to be a leader and stuff. You've been for so long. So, you have to supervise other soldiers, right? Yes. Or, how is it? Like, what are, what are your steps to do to accomplish this? Well, the one thing that you got to keep in mind uh, when you become a supervisor and a leader is not every person is the same. So you have to treat people, you, have, you treat people the same way with respect and dignity, but you have to adjust your technique depending on who the person is and what their personality, personality carries. Okay. So it's, it's very, it's a very trying thing, uh, especially in today's, uh, society and military wise because there's so much that's been involved in uh, or been injected into the military 
that we never dealt with up until here recently. So it's a learning curve for us to learn how to deal with this. Okay, so uh, what are some things that are hard for you to supervise? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it's like people that have different views, and I, and I hate to say it this way, but the younger generation, and I'm not gonna single anybody out, but the younger generation has come into the military with the mentality that we owe them something. Okay. And that we are there to support them. And that's not the case. The military is not cut out to be babysitters. We are cut out to fight wars and to be here for our country's defense. So when they come in acting like we owe them something, the the leadership role and the managerial role that we have to step into is to, is to bring them down from that thought process. And sometimes it can be difficult because they were raised that way. Yeah. So when you're trying to adjust how people think because of the way, their background and the way they were raised, it's really difficult. It's really difficult. So, like, how long have you been supervising? Um, yeah. Well, I first became a supervisor in 2004, so 16 years ago. That's, uh, that's when I first became one. But, and I've been a supervisor ever since. But as a leader and a manager, it's only been over the last eight years. Right. So, uh, what do you have to do to qualify to be a supervisor? Uh, you have to just be a certain rank. Uh, our staff sergeant is uh, the first rank you you can be as a uh, actual supervisor you can be an e4 which is a senior airman as a supervisor but you have to go through certain classes to be able to do that okay uh but as a staff sergeant as an e5 you can you can become a supervisor okay got it so uh you said that you have to take classes sometimes in e4 to become a supervisor right. like what are some like can you tell me more about those classes how is it? How often do you have to go to? Well, the uh, the initial course of it, it's basically, it's called what, what's called Airman Leadership School. So you have to go through Airman Leadership School to, and they teach you like different methods of how to uh, discipline people and how to uh, keep people in line, uh, how to be consoling, how to be empathetic, uh, sympathetic but all in the same of being a supervisor and, and keeping control of the situation. That's what Airman Leadership School is for. Once an individual has been through that, then they are qualified to uh, be a supervisor. Okay. Wow, okay, yeah, it's really, yeah, you have to do a lot to be a supervisor. And it never stops. It, uh, there's classes that you, like even, if you go through ALS uh, before you, becoming a staff sergeant. And then there's a thing called uh, NCO Academy, which is non-commissioned officers academy that you go to as a E6. And then once you go to E7, there's a senior non-commissioned officer academy that you have to go to. And each one of those courses teaches you the next step uh, of your of your rank structure. Okay, got it. So like, like in the beginning, I've like I think it's different from how you are teaching or, or how you are looking at others. Like has it changed a lot in these years or 
as far as the training itself goes, no. It's it's still based off of the way it was back in 1941. Uh, uh, the, wow. the basics are still there. It's just the adjustments of the adjustments of personal attitude and personal belonging has changed since then. But the, te- the criteria for it is still the same since 1941. Okay. Yeah. I'm, okay. And. Um, like my teacher, she told me that you retire in Marches. Like, what is that? Like, you tell me more about that. Like, well, I'm get, I'm getting ready to retire. Uh, I officially won't retire until one uh, the first of September of next year. But uh, with what I have leave saved up uh, because you're allowed to take leave, you earn two and a half days per month. Um, so it's thirty days a year that you earn. But I've held on to my leave. Uh, and just stayed at work okay. and tried not to go anywhere over the past couple of years to build that up. And uh, so I will be leaving, I will be leaving the military uh, in March of next year. However, I don't officially retire until September because I have all that leave that I have to take. Uh, so uh, you're looking forward to retire. Like, do you think it's going to be hard for you to take that next step? Well, I think the biggest the biggest stressor with retirement is not knowing because being in the military for the past almost 21 years, you everything has been a constant. Everything's been uh, pretty much laid out. Now, when I retire and I go back into the civilian sector, there's a lot of unknowns that's there, uh, just like healthcare. Healthcare for me and being in the military is free because we go to military doctors. There's doc, you know, there's people that's trained to do that. Now, when I go, when I retire and I get out in the civilian sector, I have to worry about insurance and doctor bills and all that other stuff. So, yeah, it's uh, finding a job that's going to be quantifiable to what I do now and how much I make now. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. It's it's a scary thought because you are taking that next step, but uh, in a person's career. Uh, they know, they will know once they get to that point of when it's time to retire and my time has, has come because I'm not going to advance anymore. I'm not, uh, I'm not looking to advance anymore. And I've given the military my all for the last almost 21 years. So it's time for me to go. Okay. I think that's, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that you want to retire and, um, so, like, what are some things that you're looking forward when you retire? Like, yeah. Spending more time with my kids, um, for one. Um, I have I have a daughter that's getting ready to turn 16 in 11 days. And then my son is 11. So, I mean, getting to spend more time with them and family uh, and not having to worry about um, going into work one day and saying and hearing them say, hey, uh, we need you to go. Uh, to Afghanistan in, in a couple of months. You know, that's, I won't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about uh, all the technical training that follows that. You know, yeah. it's, it's going to be a little bit of a peace of mind knowing that I don't have to deal with that anymore. But in the same aspect of that is I do, I have become accustomed to this and it's going to be a quite a difference. And a, and a culture shock, might might you say? Yeah, 
Yeah, it makes sense. So, like, how how often do you travel? Well, um, everybody's military career is different depending on where they're stationed and depending on what their mission is. So, as far as me, I've been uh, the there's a acronym called PDY, which is it stands for temporary duty, uh, and then there's deployments. Uh, but I have been over the course of my almost 21 years, I've been on 19 uh, TDYs and deployments. Okay. So it's it averages out to almost one a year. So, uh, so you've been traveling a lot through through the years. So, like, uh, what was the farthest place that you've been to? Well, it's uh, like I said, every every place that I've been to carries a different mission. Um, and we we go there to support whatever mission is in place. Uh, those those missions are considered secret, so I can't describe those. Okay. However, in the uh, basically what it is is if there's targeted areas that that uh, the government has said we need to look out for or watch over or to be concerned with, those are the areas they send. Us. Okay, so uh, you say that you work with the mechanic side of it. So uh, why do you have to worry about other things if you're like, if you're just fixing uh, like aircraft, airplanes, and all that? Well, in that in that aspect, it's when they send us when they send us to these places, uh, we're within striking distance of that of the places that we go. We're we no matter what where you're at, you're in striking distance. Okay. So yes, there's a constant thing in the back of your mind is like, is today the day? Because uh, you never know. Uh, there's been several bases, as you probably, I don't know if you keep up with the news or not, but there's been several places that's gotten hit. And people get wounded, people get killed. And that is always in the constant back of your mind, is this the day it's going to happen? So yeah, we're still, even though I work in a back shop and I'm, I'm, you know, we were turning wrenches. Uh, it doesn't matter. You're still, you're still affected by it. Got it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So, have you ever uh, tried to fly an airplane? Have you ever flew an airplane before? Nope, and have no incentive to do so. Um, that's that's just something that I, I don't even like flying, like for vacation, much less piloting an aircraft. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that. So I never attempted it. Like, do they teach you some things about Dan, about flying an airplane, like in your training? No, they, they really don't because, like I said, you, the career field that you go into, you only learn the specifics for that career field. What you learn uh, outside of that career field is just by word of mouth, with talking to other people and, and seeing how their jobs work and, and uh, what's called cross-telling, which is basically – going from one job to another saying hey here's what i do and this is how it fits into the picture okay got it uh, okay uh do you still have memories of events that happened to you in the air force like like an event that stands out to you throughout these years one specific event uh Not really, because the, my career field has been, or not my career field, but my career in general has just been one roller coaster. I mean, there's been ups and downs and everything. Uh, 
I really, I really, there's really not one specific area that I can focus on that says it, it changed my life or it was a difference. It's, it's been a, it's been a, a career of a whole. Yeah, I imagine. Okay. And um, so, like, what kind of job do you want? Do you want to have when you leave the military? Something similar to the military, like, like I don't know, like, like what kind of job do you want to look for? Well, well that's. I mean, that's that's a good question. It's a really good question, and a lot of people, a lot of people have trouble with this this type of question because. Like I said, there's so many there's so many unknowns getting you know coming out of the military. Um, I've always had a passion for driving trucks, uh, tractor trailers, okay. and I thought about doing that. Uh, but I've also been offered a managerial job at one of the local companies uh, where I grew up. So I'm I'm debating on doing that. It's a it's a steel company. It has nothing to do with what I do now. Uh, they just, they're looking for managers. They're looking for people that, that are uh, motivated and uh, military is one of those that they target because of the, the discipline that we have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, like when you were young, did you attend the, did you attend to a college or, yeah? No, I, the way I grew up, I was, I was not raised around money. Uh, money was always an object. Uh, it was really hard to come by. I had a single mom, uh, with two kids, you know, that, that was raising us. So money was really hard to come by. So college for me, when I was a kid, was not even, not even a thought. Um, so no, I, I, I had no previous college experience coming into the military. So I do have, I do have mil uh, college experience now because I've taken college since I've been in the military. Oh, so you don't have to take college after you retire with, yeah. The Air Force. Nope. So like, so they provide you all of the, like everything like that you have to know, f like for college, right? Like if they provide you, all of that, all of those stuff. Well, if you know what, what career field you want to go into after you retire or after you separate from the military, then you focus on those, those specific areas for your college, uh, for your college degree while you're in. So okay. when you finish your college degree, you're ready to step into that career field. Like when do you uh, like when do you do that college career thing? Like in the beginning of your of your. No, uh, I waited too long to start mine. I waited until I was almost ten years deep into my career before I started college, um, and then I finished I finished my associate's degree and uh, just completed my bachelor's degree about two years ago. So. Okay. Uh, but the funny thing with that is, is I, I was still unsure of what I wanted to do when I was when I retired. So my career field that I chose to go into was criminal justice in the forensics uh, field. But I'm not I'm not going into that. I do have a degree in it, but I'm not going into that career field. So I mean, it's it really depends on the person. It really does. So how did you find out that criminal justice was not your thing? Well, I mean, it, at one point in time, it was my thing. It's what I was really interested in. And then over the time, the closer it got to retirement, I was like, you know, I'm really not, I'm not feeling that anymore. Um, I think I'm just going to uh, start looking elsewhere. And that's what I did. I, I just started looking outside of 
that, that whole field. So uh, what are some things that you can take during, during that you're in college in the military? Like what are some careers that you can take? Well, I mean, uh, my job, what I do as a career here, it opens me up for a lot of, lot of different areas. Because of being a manager, I can go anywhere to be a manager. Uh, my mechanical background, I can go to any heavy diesel jet engine shop, uh, uh, airport. I mean, as you name it, I can go to, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Caterpillar, which is a heavy diesel company. They, they've offered me a job there. I mean, there's all sorts of different ways you can, I can go with it. I can also do air conditioning because my job consists of that as well. Uh, electrical work, I can do that as well. I mean, there's my, my career field has opened me up for a, a huge gain in the civilian sector. Wow, that's really cool. So with the electrical side of it, like, uh, what are some things that you know how to do with the electrical? I mean, there, it's a multitude of things. Like, uh, I'm self-taught with wiring, uh, like housing. Uh, the electrical wiring there, diagrams and stuff of that nature. That's all self-talk. But as far as like the military side of it, it's all like electrical components for uh, breaker boxes and generators, uh, tracing out wiring, uh, troubleshooting where something is wrong. Uh, it's, it's a broad spectrum overall as far as electrical is concerned, dealing with anywhere from, you know, your little two volt, systems all the way up to your 440 volt system so it's i mean it, it gives you a broad spectrum yeah so that's good that uh like that field that you were in that career that you took you opened you up with a lot of a lot of things a lot of career opportunities yep. so uh, yeah so uh like that with the college side of it like while you were in the military what you're still or but like do you think that it would have fed you if you would have taken that college career thing in the beginning of your career and if i would have had it to do over with yes i would have started my my college uh earlier in my career probably about a year in i would have started my college um because all because it would have opened me up more at that point in time because when i came into the military i had no no intentions of staying as long as what i had I, I was planning on coming in, doing my six years and getting out. But the military became second nature to me at that point. So I wound up staying and now here I am, like I said, almost 21 years later, getting ready to retire. So, I mean, it, I, it could have opened up more options earlier in my career, but I chose not. It was, and that was something I should have done. Okay. So do you think that you are happy with, the, with everything that you have done in throughout these years? Or do you think that you could have changed something to make it better? I am I am happy with my career because I've never been one of those pushover people. And uh, I don't, when I, when I know something's right or I know something's wrong, I say something about it and uh, I've stood true to myself. And that's, that's, I can't ask for any more of that. So no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the way my career has been. Even though it meant that I wasn't going to get promoted, I didn't care. I stood true to myself. Mm -hmm. Well, so, um, yeah, that's really cool. So, like, what, do you, what is one thing that you think that you would like to change 
in your years, like something that you did, you didn't do that year or you didn't listen to that could have helped you in your in your career. Well, I had a I had an old chief tell me is like if you if you want to get promoted, you have to follow these particular guidelines. And to me, the guidelines seemed like it was. I'm sure you've heard the, the term brown nosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what they seemed like I would have to do. And if, if my career has been none of that. I I don't brown nose for anything. And looking back on it, maybe I could have done some of those things uh, to help my career. And I might have I might have done it if I'd have had it to do over with. But I, I really, going back to my, my true self, I couldn't do it. So I really, to be honest with you, I, could, I wouldn't change a thing. It would, it would stay the same. The only thing that probably that I would change is my life outside of the military. Uh, there's, you know, there's things that outside of the military, like my personal life and, and home life that I would change. But other than that, I really, there's nothing that I, that I feel like I, I should change because it's made me a better person in the way things went. Okay. So, like, how often do you visit your home, your house, like, what, in your free time? Like, how long do, like, how often is that? Well, I mean, we, we go home, uh, as far as here, being in the military here, it's, uh, we go home every day. Uh, unless you're deployed or you're TDY, you go home every, every day. Okay. So, but as far as like going back to my hometown and visiting, you know, friends and family there, depending, it depends on the location that I'm in. Uh, I spent a year in Korea, so I wasn't, I couldn't just up and drive there. So, um, but I mean, as far as like being out here, it's, it's, I'm 30 hours away from home, uh, 2,200 miles away from my hometown. So it's, uh, I'm just. I try to make it there as many times as I can, but with a family, it's kind of hard to do because everybody has to line their schedules up and, and have to take leave. And like I said, over the past few years, I've been trying to save my leave uh, for my retirement. So I really haven't been, I really don't go home that often here. Uh, like, okay. How often do you move? Like, like, do you have to move a lot or does not really well, matter? Some, some people do. Um, However, I was not—I was not one of those. I actually, when I came in, I told you I, after I got through a technical school, I got stationed in Virginia at Langley Air Force Base, uh, and I tried to move for years, and I, nothing would just come up. So I just gave up on trying to move, and I wound up being there uh, at Langley, Virginia, for 16 years uh, before I actually got orders to go to Korea. So then I got orders to go to Korea, but being that I had a family and I had kids there, I opted to go back there. Well, I went, uh, I went back to Langley Air Force Base uh, for another two years, and then my wife got orders to go for a job, and I had to follow her. So, okay. uh, so that that was my third move, basically. So, but some people, some people can move anywhere; they can move every three years. Uh, which really destroys the, uh, I mean, it destroys the stability of where you're at. However, if you join the military, it's not up to you at that point. 
So you have to be on your toes because anything can fall at any time. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have only one more question. And uh, like, can you tell me how is a like a weekday? Like for you, like how is it? Like, like what do you do from the morning to night? Like, can you tell me more? Can you tell me okay. something about that? Sure. I can. I can. I can narrow it down. Like. My normal day uh, through the weekday, I get up, um, of course, get ready, get my coffee. I can't, I can't function without my coffee. Uh, but I get my coffee, go to work. I'm at work for uh, for about four and a half hours, and then take a lunch. Uh, and when I say take lunch, I don't go anywhere. I sit at my desk and eat. I bring my lunch with me because uh, I'm usually so busy that I can't get away. So I just eat while I'm at my desk and then it's another four and a half hours after that. So I put in about anywhere from 45 to 60 hours a week uh, on a normal. Uh, I have worked as much as 96 hours for during a week. So, uh, the, and the thing with that is, is no matter how many hours you work, you don't get paid anymore. You don't get paid any less. You, you're just there because you're paid on salary. You don't, it's not, you're in the military, you're going to get paid one specific thing. When you go on your deployment, you get special hazard duty pay for that, but your normal pay, it doesn't change. Okay. So, but my normal work day, I come home, I come home in the evenings, uh, depending on if the kids have got any events that they need to be at, or if there's anything going on, I take care of that. Uh, and then basically just wind down from the evening and do it all again the next day. Okay, so you work every day then, right? Oh. Yep. Uh, Monday through Friday uh, is guaranteed, unless it's a government holiday, uh, and even those sometimes we have to work, uh, depending on what what's going on. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's Monday through Friday. Sometimes you have to work the weekend because we do have a rotating weekend duty schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we have to work weekends as well. Wow. Yeah. So you're you're a busy guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, okay, so that's all I have. Like, I, I've learned a lot with everything that you that you told me. Like, I have a be better view of how someone in the military, like, how they add, how their life are. So, yeah, I'm very thankful that I had this opportunity to interview you to learn more about your life. And yeah, that's all I can say. Well, Brian, it was, it was nice meeting you, and, I, and I'm glad that uh, we got to sit down and talk about this uh, because the understanding of how the military works, a lot of people look at the military in a whole different aspect, in a whole different light. Then that's all because they don't know how, how it actually works. Yeah. So sitting down with somebody that actually has been there and done that, it's, it'll help the view uh, of other people uh, with the military. But yeah, I was, I was, I'm really, I'm really glad we got to sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for everything. That's all I can say. I'm very, all right. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You take care now. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. In this interview, I learned a lot of things, but the things 
that stand out to me the most were that if I want to go to the Air Force, I have to do a lot of training and tests. I also have to give my full potential to the military and I have to be ready for anything. The military can be hard sometimes, but if you work and act similar to Mr. Richardson, you can accomplish a lot of things in the military. And you also be a great soldier. Thank you for hearing this podcast. It means a lot to me. And I hope that you have learned a lot from this interview. And I want to give a huge thank you to Mr. Richardson for letting me interview him. And allowing me to know more about the military and his life.